Hi guys, I am Jen Johnson and this is Thought by Thought Healing. This last week I had the opportunity of being a guest on another podcast. If you haven't listened to Our Power Is Within, you should check it out. It is ran by Chasmith, who is quite lovely. So check out her podcast and social media. It's all about chronic pain, just like my channel is. She does not have a video element to her podcast. And so for YouTube, I'm just going to throw some, I don't know, probably my logo up here. I hope you guys enjoy and I hope you're having a great week and I will see you guys next time. Bye. Hey, hey, welcome to Our Power Is Within podcast. I'm your host, Chasmith, and my mission for this podcast is to inspire you to take your power back, to realize that you are the healer that you've been looking for all along. We are capable of healing in mind, in body, and in soul. I wanted to start this week off once again sharing another Apple podcast review that someone shared because, well, it's fun and I appreciate it. So, Winterling's music says, in the depths of neuroplastic pain recovery, hope is something, is sometimes, sorry, all that we have. And this podcast brings an ocean of it. Thank you. Well, Winterling's music, thank you too. I appreciate you taking your time to leave kind words and support this podcast so that other people can discover it and find hope as well. A new week equals a new challenge, but before I get started on the new challenge, I do want to ask if you guys have had a chance to connect with someone this past week. If you do remember and you listened into last week's episode, the challenge was to reach out to someone that you care about, um, whether it was a significant other, a friend, or a family member, and um, set up a time to connect with them. And that could have been in person or on the phone. It could have been out doing some activity or in your home, whatever worked for you, wherever you're at in your recovery stages. Um, So let's see, what did I do this week? I actually had the best time connecting. I really, (laughs) I really feel like I um, really put myself out there and had a good time doing a few different things. So one of the things I did was I went to a coffee tea wine bar with four other girlfriends. Um, A couple of them didn't know each other and I brought them all together, which was really fun. Uh, I went and played video games with another friend at an old school arcade, which is something I just love to do every once in a while. Um, I love to just like take an hour and just go act like a big kid playing those old school games like Pac-Man and Galaga. Um, and then I also went and caught a sunset with a bike ride with my neighbor. And it was actually her first time to see a sunset at the dock here in town. So that was really cool to get to share that experience with her. And then the last thing I, I got to go back to work after, um, quite a bit of time off. Um, that's a long story, but I was so excited to be back at work and I realized how I left every single night smiling and just feeling so satisfied. I love getting to work in hospitality and being a part of people having a wonderful experience and um, celebration. It really lights me up. So yeah, feel grateful. Those are a few ways that I was able to create some 
enriching connections this week. If you had any connections this week that you want to share with me, feel free to send me a message and um, yeah, let me know how it went for you. This week's challenge is going to be simple. We're just going to take it all back to breath. Anytime that you start to feel nervous or anxious or worried or fearful, or perhaps you notice a story playing in your head, just try to come back to breath. Just see if you can slow your breathing down, begin to pull the air into your belly, and just become aware of your breath. Because when we're aware of our breath, we can begin to be in the present now moment. And if we're in the present now moment, we aren't stuck in those stories, that fear, or those worries. So I don't have a set agenda this week. It's not five minutes a day. It's not a set time or a set style of breath. It's really just you beginning to become more aware of the undertone of your emotional being, um, or the stories that are playing in your head, and then use that tool that we call breath to bring you back to present. Our guest today is Jennifer from Thought by Thought Healing, and Jennifer joins us today to share her personal story of overcoming and recovering from a laundry list of chronic symptoms, and she shares how this journey has changed her life. She now continues on her journey of growth while also supporting other people along the way as a coach. And I love testimonials. I love hearing all the different ways that people approach healing and the different journeys and the different trials and tribulations and how we've overcome them and the growth that we um, experience through this healing journey that far supersedes the relief of physical symptoms. So I'm excited to share this one with you today. So let's go ahead and introduce Jennifer. All right. I have Jennifer with Thought by Thought Healing with us today to have a fun conversation about healing. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for being here. So yeah, I want to actually get right into um, you. So (laughs) I think a really good place to start is I know that you're now doing your own podcast and you have your own coaching practice, but obviously you had to get there somehow. And so I'd love if you could share with the listeners a little bit about um, your journey, maybe where like the bulk of it started and what you kind of spent time recovering from and just what that recovering and healing journey was like for you. Yeah. It's always such a interesting thing to start talking about your journey because for me, I'm kind of like, where did it start? When did this start? And I, and I think that my first symptoms that I can remember now that I understand symptoms was probably, let's see, I'm 42 now and I was probably like 21. Um, and they were like stomach, stomach symptoms, but I didn't understand what was happening at all. And then fast forward and, uh, probably about seven years ago is when it got, um, to the point where it was stealing my life from me. And I, and I, 
it's it's this interesting thing of um, talking about the symptoms without describing them in too much detail. But I will just talk a little bit about some of the the symptoms that I had and the diagnoses that I had. Um, so I had been given the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, central sensitization, which is just a fancy word for TMS, uh, torn rotator cuff, IBS, carpal tunnel, SIBO, which is small intestine bacteria overgrowth, um, TMJ, stress headaches, back pain, foot pain, high arches, or too high of arches, uh, plantar fasciitis. I'm reading from a list right now. I feel like I could go on forever. I, forever. I just had a whole body pain. Um, and I didn't understand, um, I didn't understand what was happening. And so I just kept making my life smaller and avoiding doing the things that I loved because, um, because I thought it was the things that I was doing that was causing the pain. And I think we can probably all relate to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's yes, smaller and smaller because of the fear factor. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did... I know you said you kind of, it's like, and I, and I totally relate, where does it begin? You know, because the more that we learn about this, the more we're like, oh shit, this might've actually started back when I was a kid that might, oh, that thing I thought was actually physical might've actually been, you know, something else to begin with. But this is a huge list. So was this just like a slow build? Did it all come on at once? Like, were you like, what was the timeline like in terms of getting these diagnoses and experiencing these, um, this vast array of symptoms? Yeah, I think that most of it was a slow build and then a bunch of them kind of hit at the, I'm going to say at the same time, but meaning they moved around and one, you know, was worse than the other, you know, during certain months. And, um, and so um, the, the fibromyalgia, the central sensitization, which means all, all over full body pain, that was more um, the five, seven years ago piece. Um, and the rest of it was just things like the TMJ and, and headaches and, and back pain. Um, those were things that were more of a slow build. And I think it's really easy with, with TMJ and, and, and stress headaches. Um, even like the torn rotator cuff, quote unquote, which was not what it was, the carpal tunnel, all those things, because I, I quote unquote had a reason for them. So my, I, I, yeah, like you mentioned, I'm a chronic pain coach, but I'm also an interpreter for the deaf and hard hearing. And so I use my hands a lot. So I, I just, they just told me, well, you probably have carpal tunnel from doing, using your hands so much. So because I kind of had these, these reasons for all of them, the carp, uh, the, the torn rot- rotator cuff was from camping, you know, there was, there was um, something that I could point to. It didn't quite send me into pain or the the fear cycle as to when I started getting full body pain and I didn't have an answer for it. What was causing these things? And so once I started getting symptoms that that the doctors didn't really um, have a reason for, that's when I went into fear mode. And then there was just this huge onset of symptoms. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And thanks for just clarifying that. So we kind of understood yeah, and I think just some of those things I, I, I just want to mention, um, like the carpal tunnel. I want to be clear that I did not have carpal tunnel, so right. I was diagnosed with it, and I had pain that was um, that was similar. It 
it, the description was the same as carpal tunnel, but I did not have a pinched nerve. Um, and so that is true also of, of SIBO. Like I tested positive for SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. But once I started applying TMS or mind-body um, methods to it, uh, I realized that it was, I didn't actually have those things. Right. Yes. And I'm so glad you clarified that because I mean, that's like a thing and I'm sure we'll either get into this or I'm sure you've read like some of Dr. Sarno's work, right? At this mm -hmm. point, I don't know anyone who's yeah. knows TMS and hasn't. And he even says in one of his books, how like we call things or we've come to understand things like carpal tunnel, um, and it's like all widespread and we think everybody has it now because, and everybody's getting all these specialized computer stations. But then he gives that example of what's the excuse then like, you know, 50 plus years ago when women would sit for 10, 12 hours at a time on these typewriters that are definitely not user friendly and they, no one had it. No one even knew what it was, you know? Yeah. I find this concept of, of, uh, there being popular pain syndromes to be really interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Popular or like, as he said, in vogue, like the yeah. brain learns what's popular right now. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you have, you had this journey where you started getting all these symptoms and you started minimizing your like, like life essentially making it smaller because of fear. You thought that it was your life and these the things you were doing that was causing all this. So what happens next? Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, I just, I mean, it, it just became tiny. You know, I was, uh, I, I still, well, I do again, West Coast swing dancing, which is like modern swing dancing. And so I did, uh, back in the day, I did, I'm going to call it low level um, competitions. And I, I loved it. I loved dancing. And as my feet um, became... Just, I mean, my my feet became the the central point of my pain. And when your feet are your pain, you don't, you can't, you can't walk. Um, and so I clearly had to give up my passion of dancing. So I I stopped dancing. Um, my my social anxiety um, went through the roof and that was because and we haven't got into what is the perfect storm of what's actually really the root of of all these tms symptoms i have but um i i began to make my social life smaller and smaller also because i was no longer confident in who i was as a person my identity kind of had been lost i'm going to say at this point in time because of the pain but it wasn't really the pain and so my, my social life just dwindled, um, my, my passions, I lost them. I used to like to work with tools and, and create things with wood. And I just stopped doing any of that and just kind of allowed the fear of, well, well what if I remember one day thinking I, I probably, what if I only have 10,000 steps left? How do I want to use those 10,000 steps? And so I just stopped walking as, as, as much as I possibly could, because that fear had just taken root in me. And so I, I made my life as safe as I thought that I could make it by removing things from my life. And literally, as we know, in doing that, that made my life more dangerous by making it smaller and, and trying to make it safe. I actually taught my brain that life was dangerous in like every area. Um, 
I got like a, a, a handicap parking pass and a 504 plan at my work and, and all this stuff because I really thought my life was coming to an end when it came to movement. Um, and all of that was was fear-based. So, so at this point in time, my story, my I have all these symptoms and my life is very small and I have no idea of kind of the uh, the emotional backing of any of it. Mm. And what about like, gosh, loss of joy? I mean, now the things that you're most passionate about, you can't do. Correct. Yes, absolutely. So, so it, it's really, <laughs> I, I do, I do remember at one point in time, and I'm actually staring at it right now, thinking I'm, I'm going to um, take my water bottle and I'm going to put stickers on it of everything that I, I can do. Um, and so I, I, there was this sliver of hope that I still had of what, what can I do with this pain? Um, and so I have things like go camping and I have, um, coffee and flowers and, uh, campfires and fairies things and my, and a cat. Um, so just things that even while I was in pain, I could enjoy, but as far as like, what are the things that I can do? It definitely, um, it definitely got much smaller. I, as you can tell, I had a lot of things and still and do again, have a lot of things that I enjoy doing. Um, but part of safety for me had been removing those things. And so therefore there went joy and happiness, laughing and all those things. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you had that positive attitude still where you did focus on what you could do. That's really cool. And I did want to highlight and say that how you explained that in your effort to make your world small in order to make it safe actually made it more dangerous. That is such a wonderful and simple explanation for what we are actually teaching our brain. That is, that's awesome. I've never heard it explained that way. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's just the, the fact that avoidance teaches our brain that the thing that we are afraid of is in fact dangerous. And so then life just becomes dangerous and we reaffirm it by our actions. And then that wires it and it becomes true in our bodies. It's crazy. I I heard in one of your, um, in one of your podcasts, you just talked about how you never would have expected that you were so into brain science. And I just love brain science. It's so fascinating and very cool to me to, to realize, as your podcast is called, how much power that we do have over so many things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So where did you first learn about Dr. Sarno and just mind body medicine and um, kick this like the healing into gear? Yeah, it's all backwards for me. I heard of Sarno last. So, um, so let's see, how did it all start? Um, It's I'm going to start with at one point in time, realizing that journaling and my relationship with God. So I'm a Christian, um, had become dangerous for me and they were, it was really toxic for me to write or to journal. Um, and so, um, I had these journals, like seven years of journals that were full of repetitive fear. So just writing about shame and, and guilt and, uh, fear and judgment and just all these really distressing emotions. I had seven years of journals. Um, and I realized at some point in time, uh Oh, like 
something's wrong here and I need to get, I, I need to burn and get rid of these, these, these journals that are full of this, this, um, why I, now I know now that every time I wrote about it, I just wired it. And so I decided to go camping by myself and I, and I went camping and I took my seven years of journals with me and I went out and I took each of those pages that had all like these emotions on them. And I ripped each one out and summarized the emotion that I was feeling shame, uh, regret, uh, fear, um, whatever anger. And I ripped it up, crumpled it in a ball and threw it in the fire. And I, that was my way of giving it to God and just burning it up and just saying, I don't want to carry, I don't want to carry these emotions anymore. Um, and, and it was really during that trip, I just really realized that my emotions were, um, were really powerful in my body, but I still didn't realize that they were related to my pain. Um, and, um, but then I was reading a neuroscience book by a Christian author about just emotions. And I started thinking like, wait a second, there's some, there's some power in my emotions. Like, I think I had always, um, thought that emotions were something to avoid and they, they were not good. Um, they were not something that we were to move towards. We were, they were something to get rid of. Um, and so, um, which I think is pretty common of people with TMS. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, I'm going to ask you two questions. One, being a Christian, having faith in God at any point when you were just on this kind of downward spiral, did you ever doubt God or did you ever have that mindset? Like, why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? Or were you, did you like stay um, steadfast in your faith and trust that there was a reason behind it all? hundred percent doubted it. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So, um, when I work with client clients, which I know we're not there yet, but, um, I, there are so many areas that we can have danger in, um, and fear. And if you fear the God that loves you, or you fear, um, your religion, then it no longer is a safe place. And so for me, part of healing had to do with um, realizing that I had a concept of my God that was not true. And, and I feared, I feared him. And in that fear also came doubting, um, what if he's not real, first of all, and, and, and if I feel all this shame and and anger and frustration from my personal life, um, what does that say about, about God? Um, so, so a big part of my journey does have to do with whether or not God was good and whether he was dangerous for me or not. And I actually think that is some, like we all have um, uh, groups of people that we click with. And so for me, I, I, I like to work around, um, work with people who, who are Christians that are struggling with that. So yes, to answer your question, I think that that was a big part of it in the same way as if you grow up with a, a family that um, is dangerous if you're in a relationship with a God that is dangerous, then it's going to have the same effect on your nervous system and on your pain level. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a really good point. Thank you for making that. And also, isn't it so interesting how unique um, everyone's healing journey kind of is and what really resonates or works for one person versus the next? Because here you are having this epiphany realization early on before you even realize it's connected to your physical symptoms, that your journals are heavy and um, not serving you. And so you release them yet. So many of us 
actually find value in to grabbing the pen and paper and doing exactly what you had been doing um, in order to actually get more connected to their emotions and um, express them. So it's kind of interesting how what one person did um, was like almost opposite of what might work for somebody else. Yeah. And, and I, and I want to clarify too, that my story ends up changing and writing ends up becoming the most important tool I had. Really? Yes. So in this, I I believe that in the same way, our brains can perceive one thing as, as dangerous, like for me walking or using my hands or sitting Um, in the same way, our brain can perceive and operate within something like writing as dangerous. And so, and, and the way that I wrote in the past was just something like, I have shame. I have shame. I have so much shame. What do I do with the shame? But there was no, there was no, I just wrote myself into victim mode um, Mm -hmm. and more distressing emotions. There was no, there was no relief out of it. Whereas now when I write, it's completely different story and it's, it's freeing and it has truth in it. It helps me to find, um, so for me, so for me, healing is about being known. So it's about me getting to know myself, my fears, my emotions, my, my shame, my, all these things that I was carrying, getting to know myself, um, because I never was willing to do the work to get to know myself, getting to know myself, and then allowing myself to be known by God who loves me in that state. And I, I for me, the way I describe it is that I, I discovered the false me the raw me and the true me. And I was, and the raw me often reflects whether I'm living in my false identity or in my true identity. My false identity is full of shame and it's fear and all this anger and yuckiness. Um, um, Whereas the true me, I don't, I don't have to live in fear. Um, I, I can be afraid and Uh, For me, I go to God with that, Um, but I can have these emotions, but they don't get to be my identity. So I I feel like a lot of the work around healing had has to do with identifying what are what is the false narrative. I I think we all know that the the way we talk about ourselves, the way we describe ourselves, matters, and I can become a danger to my own brain by the way that I I talk about um, the things I hate about myself and the things that that reflect poorly. And, and, um, and so a lot of the work for me was discovering, Oh, I'm claiming and viewing myself in these really toxic ways. And that those are all lies about me. That is not me. That is not that is underneath all that fear. And those emotions is a, is a true raw me, the, the me that I was created to be. And that's how I get to live out of. Um, so it was empowering of getting to know what false pretense I was living under. That's really awesome. And so writing became a pivotal, pivotal um, component for you, but what else along the way through that process, as you, as things started to unfold and you started to learn more and understand the mind body connection, what else was really um, powerful for you? Yeah. So I think I'll go back just a little bit. And after that camping trip, I, I was just once again, researching, you know, what causes foot pain and, you know, trying to find like, what was the source of this pain that I had? And I found this, um, physical therapist had a description. He basically said like central sensitization is, um, is when your fight or flight nervous system is activated chronically and you don't have to get your 
uh, rest and digest to, to be engaged. And I read that and I was just like, that is a hundred percent me. I am, I am completely in fight or flight all the time. And, and so that, I mean, literally in that moment, I knew I can heal then. I, I can do this. Like, that's me. I didn't know it was called TMS. I didn't, didn't know it was neuroplastic pain. I didn't know about the mind-body connection. I, I barely knew about the, the fact that our autonomic nervous system has two parts. Um, I, I didn't know any of this, really. Um, and so from there, uh, I, had, I remember um, I had scheduled an appointment with a new doctor. And that week I met with her. Um, cause my old one had retired and she was aware that you can heal from chronic pain, which I had not gotten really that message yet. Um, and then I remembered that somebody a year past had mentioned DNRS to me, dynamic neural retraining systems, I think, um, is that, do you, is that right? Dynamic neural retraining system? Yeah, you got it. Okay. And so I, um, I bought that program and went away for three days and just threw my all into that program. Knowing, and I mean, I just, I just knew that I was going to heal. And I think that served me well, um, because I never, once I heard of it, I wasn't like, oh, maybe, well, hmm, that's interesting. That was a false statement. I, I did still think my stomach issues because I had a SIBO test that was positive. So I thought, I thought that my stomach issues were probably structural, but everything else was um, going to be what they call it uh, limbic dysregulation or something. So I took the program and I saw maybe like 20% decrease in pain, maybe. But it was enough that it reaffirmed to me, yes, I can do this. So I did that for a couple months um, and it was helpful. But I, I knew that the tools that were involved in that were a good start, but I could tell they weren't enough for me. Uh, I needed to do more of the emotional work. So then um, I, I started telling a friend of mine, as we all do, we try to save our friends. <laughs> and so I, I tried to save one of my friends who also has uh, neuropathic pain. And she did some research and came back and told me about curable. Um, and so then I was like, well, what is this thing? So I looked up curable and got on the curable app and then, uh, found out about Howard Schubiner. And so I did unlearn your pain. And it, so that's how I discovered writing. That's where I got to writing being a tool. And it was just, um, it was just life-changing, um, for me to realize all these, these emotions, all these past experiences, um, were, were still playing out in my nervous system because I hadn't really dealt with them. So I think that writing was my, um, I think writing is my, was my favorite tool. I did a, a, I do a lot of talking to my pain. Um, so just getting quiet, quieting my brain, um, and having short, um, internal conversations, uh, with, with my symptoms, um, about being safe. And it, it, it is similar, um, in like body posture, if you will, to somatic tracking, although it's, um, it is definitely different than somatic tracking. Somatic tracking helps, but that those, those conversations with my, my pain, um, were just really helpful for me to be able to reassure myself that I am safe. I am healing. I am okay. Things are getting better. 
Um, and um, just having that daily dose of truth, even, even though it was from me to me, really started to send my body and, and brain into the right direction. Mm, that's awesome. So wait, how long did you do DNRS? I think I did it. Gosh, I think I just said two months, but I actually think I only did it for a month. Oh, so you didn't even stick with the full six months. I didn't. Um, I didn't because I, because all of our brains are, are wired differently. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, I think the long visualizations work. Um, but for me, I love a five-second visualization. <laughs> so in, I didn't mention insomnia. Insomnia was absolutely one of my, my worst symptoms. And, and so I would use visualization to just visualize myself sleeping for like five seconds. And I found that to be a really powerful tool. But, um, but the long visualizations uh, of DNRS wasn't, I know it is, I know it is for a lot of people. So I'm not tearing down DNRS at all. Um, but for me, that didn't quite work. And I knew that I needed to do more, more emotional work. And that's why I switched to unlearn your pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said earlier, everyone has like their own unique journey and it's not one size fits all for sure. I mean, yeah. ultimately we want to do things that we resonate for, um, towards rather than putting more pressure on ourselves to show up and do things that we think we should do, even though we're like kind of miserable doing them, you know, or forcing it. That doesn't help. Yeah. And unlearn your pain is such a fantastic, I, I have that book. It's so, it's so thorough and it's such a great guide. Yeah. I, in, in traditional TMS methods or, or personality traits, I, um, I definitely did. I think everything in that book. <laughs> from from first page to last page well that makes sense (laughs) hence the laundry list of symptoms yeah yeah absolutely and so I think a little bit just about my my personal story and I'll just just dip into this a little bit is that um that perfect storm everybody's is different but for mine I I was going through um I was in a relationship where there was the, my partner had an addiction and I'm not talking negatively about him at all, but I am saying that I taught myself and I learned how to be hypervigilant and how to look out for ways that I might potentially be hurt in the future. And so, um, I, I basically taught myself how to be on the lookout and on the alert for ways that I might, um, that I might, hurt in the future. And so I taught myself to um, be paranoid almost. And then at the same time, I I ended up ending that relationship, which um, I had a great amount of fear around the fact that I, that I ended it. And so there was this big, um, there was just this big kind of blow up of life wasn't quite safe. It didn't feel safe, but I taught my brain how to perceive it as even more dangerous than, than it was, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I love how you are speaking from a place of responsibility and it's not Mm -hmm. about fault, blame, shame, or guilt. It's just 
like it's just like literally looking at how it's like not like you were conscious like I'm gonna teach myself to be hyper vigilant it was more like this undertone and through actions and reinforced patterns like you're you're strengthening different like certain neural pathways and yeah you're just speaking from such a place of responsibility which is so powerful right because when we take that personal responsibility um standpoint and we take our power back then it then that's where the magic can happen because we are literally taking back our ability to heal. Yeah. Um, Blaming doesn't help us at all in healing from chronic pain. No. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, that there's often a misconception. I've seen and heard and witnessed this often that like when there are teachers, coaches, influencers, like people in the, in the healing community that talk about personal responsibility and how we are where we are because of like our own actions, choices, decisions leading up to this moment. A lot of people get very defensive about that and they think that it's about blaming or fault. And I just think it's so important to highlight that we're never ever saying that we're to blame or we're at fault. But again, like we're responsible. And the coolest thing about that is if you can sit here and say, I taught myself hypervigilance. I taught myself, um, through this, you know, I led myself into like somewhat of a paranoia. The powerful part of that statement is that if you taught yourself how to be hypervigilant, you can teach yourself how not to be hypervigilant. Yep, absolutely. And I and I also want to note that again, I I was teaching myself what I thought was safety. Right. There's this really interesting and, and oftentimes people don't get this, but there's really big difference between fear and wisdom. And yet sometimes they get confused. So I felt like it was wise to be hypervigilant, but really it was self-protection and fear absolutely ruling my thought life. Right. And so I think it's really important to look at what are we avoiding or what are we fearing? um, And is our, 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 is the motivation for our actions? Is it, um, is it fear or is it, love and freedom. Mm-hmm. When you started really getting in the DNRS and then the curable and then unlearn your pain, at what point did you really start to begin to experience freedom from symptoms and start to really get relief where that belief system got stronger and stronger? Like, oh, I'm getting better. This is possible. Mm. Um, I remember at one point in time, turning to my sister and saying, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. (laughs) Um, Not that it's hard. It's not, it's not hard. It is a commitment and it is, um, it's, it is, it is being comfortable in it taking a little bit longer than you want it to be. It's having the hope through the times that, that it doesn't seem to be going as quickly as you want it to go. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, in that first month, I probably saw like 20%, um, which was enough. And then I think I, I think at six months, I was like 60% pain-free, um, which means 60% reduction in intensity mm-hmm. and 60% reduction in amount of time that I was in pain. So I was having chunks of like, you know, four or five days without, without pain. And then it would come back or whatever. Um, and at that point in time, I remember thinking even, 
even if this is as good as it gets, I am so thankful for it. I will, I will take this. Um, I can live my life. I can continue to work. Um, cause that was in question for me. And, um, I, I think I had reintroduced dancing. No, I had not reintroduced dancing because it was the beginning of COVID. So, um, that was definitely not part of that, but I had started to reintroduce a lot of movement. So, so I think I just had so much, um, gratefulness for the things that I was able to do. Um, and I call myself healed now, which, um, I, I actually asked Dr. Howard Schubiner about this one day. And he said that, um, that actually, sorry, I, I believe it was actually his uh, assistant that responded. So I want to make sure that I quote the right person, but she said that, um, at around 90% is where you, you want to start claiming I'm healed because we don't heal like as, how does Nicole Sachs put it? You don't heal from the human condition. I think she says, um, we don't, we don't heal from the autonomic nervous system. We don't heal from having a danger signal. You know, these are things that we are created with and we have. Um, so there are times in my life that I feel, um, slightly not safe, um, emotionally and, um, and so I occasionally have a symptom that I, I now know how to handle, but I would say at about nine months is when I was healed. Mm-hmm. That's when I would, I would say that life was exactly what I wanted it to be, um, without having the symptoms hinder any, um, anything that I wanted to do. I mean, yeah, that we talk, I mean, I think this comes onto the podcast all the time as a discussion, which is that like w- we, to say you're healed does not mean to say that you're never going to have a condition or a symptom again. And I right. think that's so important to highlight because I think it's a misconception sometimes in the healing community where people, again, going back to like pressure, put all this pressure on themselves and they see other, they see Mm -hmm. other people that share testimonials or stories or who are coaches. And they assume that because somebody says they're healed, that they just never experience a symptom, a pain, an ache, a, a, you know, a distress in their stomach again. And then if they have these symptoms sometimes present themselves. It's like, they feel like they're failing or they're not doing good enough or they're doing something wrong still. And it's like, no, you're just being a human. Right. (laughs) But the cool thing is, is having the tools and then being able to like have the awareness to be able to notice when you're having an experience. And then rather than reacting in fear, you probably now are just approaching it with so much more ease and faith. Yes. And I, just today, I was realizing that when I get these, these little symptoms, I often, I actually think I treat them kind of like a toy Mm -hmm. (laughs) where I'm like, what, what can I do with this symptom? Like what's behind it? How can I, how can I play with it? How can I shape it? How can I change it? Um, just kind of in this exploratory sense. Um, I mean, we, most of us who have healed also see it as a gift of some sort. Um, and it's so true because when I, when I do have a symptom, it means that I am living out of a, a false identity of something I'm not um, that is normally for me based in some sort of fear. Um, and so it's a gift, but it's also just this, it's, it's just kind of interesting. Um, and so, no, I don't, I don't respond in fear to it 90% of the time. I'm human. So uh, on occasion, I will be annoyed and not want it at that point in time. Um, 
this last weekend, I was trying to multitask for like 24 hours. I was trying to do two things at the same time and I'll spare you the details, but I, I, your, our brains are not, they're not intended to do that. And I was trying to get like literally two really important pressured things done at the same time. And at some point in time, I was like, I can't, I I can't do this. And my, my body was saying like, this is not good for you. Um, and so I, I listened and just let go of one of the things and my, and my symptoms got better. Um, but I had to like play around with it and think about like, okay, what's happening here? Oh yeah. I I'm feeling pressured to get too much done. And I think most of us who have healed also have discovered there's, there's something around urgency that, that, and time that we struggle with. Um, there's, there's some sort of feeling that we have to accomplish or get a lot done. Um, was that part of your story at all? Oh my God. (laughs) Times 1000. I, you know, (laughs) I mean, one, I think there, I think there's two components to that. Like one is just, again, a learned behavior, you know, um, maybe stemming from childhood upbringing parents. I don't know who or how, but just always a sense of urgency. Although I was with my mom recently and I realized she is always in a hurry. She's always like, come on, let's go. And then she walks really fast when there's not a reason to. And then it's like rush to make a decision. So I thought, oh shit, maybe that's where I learned it from. But set that aside, I, I think we exasperate it and reinforce it often when we are in physical pain or, you know, anyone who has like chronic fatigue or, I mean, just any kind of pain, any kind of dis-ease in the body that limits us because on the days or moments you feel good, you like get into this mindset that you got to get it all done because you don't know when you're going to crash next. You don't know when you're going to not feel good again, or you're thinking about the last five days you spent in bed and didn't do all the things you wanted or needed to do. Mm, That's interesting. I have not thought about it from that perspective. Yeah. absolutely. So it's definitely reinforced. I mean, I think there's a thing, I don't know if you had any experience with fatigue, but you know, I know a lot of people who say they, when they're fatigued and going through healing that they like almost like try to manage their energy units. So it's like part of that getting small, you cut things out and you like try to prioritize like what's the most important thing that I can get done while I have energy today. But yeah, I think on the good days, what you um, also try to see how much you can squeeze in. <laughs> yeah. Get it done. Cause what if I don't feel good tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's similar to what I was talking about with like, if I only have 10,000 steps, then I have to limit how much I do or walk. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I think too, there, there's this um, personality trait that we see in TMS of people that are driven and, and that's, totally me. Um, and I, I don't, I think I just got that from culture. I don't see that in my, like, um, I don't see it in a negative way in my childhood. Um, and, but yet there's something about not, um, not being able to rest while not producing that, that I had to I had to work really hard on that. How do I, how do I rest? How do I have peace if I'm not doing and accomplishing five things off of my life to-do list and 12 off of my daily to-do list? (laughs) And so I really had to learn to slow down and do things slower and be okay if I didn't get as much done that day as um, my nervous system kept yelling at me that I had to do. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So speaking of that, do you feel like through this whole journey, you're, you know, rewiring your brain, you're learning about your emotional states, your healing elements, um, you're learning that rest is okay, um, that you don't always have to have everything accomplished at once. When you're looking at your life today and you're looking at your life, let's say seven years ago, do you live a different life? Do you approach life differently or did you kind of get better and just default back into the old habits? Uh, no. And this is, <laughs> I think we'll have this in common. Um, I, once you start to understand, oh, I have, I have power over whatever this, this pain, um, or, or I can understand, let's just say, I can understand the science of what this pain is and how to work with it. You, you end up being able to apply that to so many things in your life. So the fact that I have my own YouTube channel slash podcast, um, and, and a coaching business is not who I would have been seven years ago. My fears absolutely would have stopped me from that. And so being able to use this work to, um, I don't know, to embrace life, to embrace the, the real me that God made me to be and to let those fears go. Cause fear of symptoms is like, for those of you listening, like we empathize. It is, it's not an easy thing to let go of that, the fear of the symptoms. But if you can do that, you can definitely let go of other fears and things that are stopping you and, and really just embrace um, other areas in your life that that danger signal is affecting. Um, so I, I would not give up. This is hard to say. I don't, I think it was worth what I went through to, to be who I am now, um, and to not live in emotional fear, um, barring all the physical pain, um, it's empowering. And, and clearly from your podcast, you have discovered that also. Absolutely. That's awesome. So as far as your coaching practice, how do you take what you've learned through your journey and integrate it into a practice to support other people? Do you do group coaching or just one-to-one? And is every person a unique experience? Yeah, I don't do group coaching. Um, I do all one-on-one and um, I have Basically, I have a seven-session course. I also have a two-session course, but I don't actually suggest it because, well, I don't know. I feel like we need more. But um, I, we work on things like your relationship with your pain, um, subconscious emotions, personality traits, I feel like is um, just a a huge one and really powerful if you, if we start getting into personality traits because they're with us all the time. And so starting to, to uh, look at that and look at each of my clients, like their personal personality traits that are playing into, into pain. So that's how I address it. And, and I, I like to pretend like the sessions are like two are for this and two are for that and one's on this, but really I just meet my client exactly where they are and work on whatever, um, whatever underlying, emotional component is, um, is contributing to the pain at that time. Um, I use all the tools based on my client and what works with them, whether it's somatic tracking or talking to your pain or, um, journaling. I have something called somatic redemption that I use, um, all the, uh, many different tools, as you know, that every, 
every doctor and coach has their own sets. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And I know because we've very briefly mentioned, but we know that you have a faith base and you are Christian. And I know that, um, that your faith definitely was an integral part of your healing journey. Now, as a coach, do you primarily work with uh, faith-based clients or do you work with anybody of any faith and religion or spirituality? I, I definitely work with anybody. Um, I will say that most of my clients that come to me are Christians because they are they are drawn to that. They want that that perspective. They want that scriptural backing because I just um, the more and more I understood the mind body connection and how our beliefs and our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors um, play into our bodies, the more I just I just saw how that paralleled with scripture, with the Bible, with Jesus, and so I, I talk about that a lot on my YouTube channel, and so that that is tends to be the demographic that reaches out to me but i have definitely definitely worked with people who are are not christians and um the science is is science <laughs> um so whether you i don't know i think god created us in this way that we he does give us the power within um so my program does is not exclusive to christians Awesome. And you mentioned very early on that there was a Christian neuroscience book, which was one of the first things that you stumbled upon to learn about this stuff. What was that for anybody who's listening that might be interested? Yeah, it's called Anatomy of the Soul. And it is by Kurt Thompson, Anatomy of the Soul. And he does he does not talk about um, pain, although he does talk about the nervous system and, and a few sim- symptoms. But he more gets into the importance of emotions and that that part of our brain, the limbic system, and 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 how that is really important to pay attention to because I think um, we often ignore our emotions and think they're not important and things to be shoved under the rug. And it is in fact opposite. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's a really, really great read for anybody interested. Awesome. And, um, I do want to ask you before we have to go the question I ask every guest at the end of the show, which is if you could only share one message with the world for the rest of your life, what message would you want to share? Oh, I have to say God is good and he loves you. I just, that is the message I have to say, because I think there's a, just a big misconception, especially even in the Christian community that, um, there's just so much, um, shame around it. And I think that's, that's a lie. And, um, yeah, you're loved, you're loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is really good because you're absolutely right. There is sometimes a misconception and especially in a lot of the um, religious sectors, like you're almost taught like to fear God and you you become so afraid of doing things or sinning or making a mistake or something that would be considered a sin or, and then you are, there's judgment and shame and guilt. And so, yeah, right. you know, but it's, there's a different way to see it too. A more beautiful way. Yeah, and I think way. that, that that idea of fearing God, I, I found this to be really interesting, is is more about an awe of God, being in awe of God. And being in awe of God versus um, being scared of God is going to have a completely different response in your nervous system. So um, awe actually has like this 
this peace and all these really um, healing chemicals that are released into our bodies. And so when we are in awe, just like when we're outside on a hike or, or looking at something beautiful, um, that is very calming and peace giving. But when we were in fear, we're full of stress hormones and, and that obviously contributes to the pain. And so I yeah. think that misunderstanding of, of fear versus awe is, is a big deal. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And you know, you could even transfer that and see that as being, could we learn to replace? Cause they always say like, it's awesome to release something like fear, but replace it with something. Could you yeah. replace the fear with awe, even when you're looking at your body and rather than being afraid of symptoms, be in awe over the idea that your body is actually always working towards balance, harmony, and healing. And that it, that symptoms don't necessarily mean that something is bad happening in your body, you know? That's amazing. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they correlate. Um, I am going to post in my show notes, all the links and ways for people to connect with you. And right. did you have any final thoughts or comments that you wanted to share? I, I think just don't put yourself on a, on a time pressure allow, I think just allowing the healing to take the time that it needs that that pressure just really um, gets in the way. So don't give up. But don't, also don't put yourself on in that rush, that urgency mode. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Because even though it might sometimes feel like we got sick overnight, we sure shit didn't get sick overnight. This was a long mm. process and we don't get to heal overnight either. I mean, and, and maybe we can, I don't want to limit us. Maybe sometimes there are certain miracles and things where that happens, but to not rush it is um, a very valuable lesson. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate um, what you're doing in the community. And I appreciate that you have stepped out of your fears and that you're living this new life that you're leading by example, and you are creating this willingness within your own heart to be seen. I know that is going to provide so much value. Um, moving outward and flowing into the universe. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks for having me. And that is a wrap. If you have found any inspiration out of today's episode, please share it with a friend or share it on your social media and tag me at our power is within. Also, don't forget there is a link at the bottom of the show notes where you can make a monetary donation to the podcast future episodes. If you found value in this podcast over the years, you can donate as little as 99 cents a month. Remember to come back to breath and until next time, make this week great.